You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong? And how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Jan. Welcome back to another week of Diaspora Blues, a 3CR radio program. I am Ayan Shirwa. Today on the show, I have the razor-sharp, kick-ass writer and community organiser, Najma Sambul, joining me in a few minutes. But before I get Najma on, let's play a Somali track that took the world by storm in uh, in 2021, which was last year. <laughs> um, the song is called Isi Nafta, which means give me life, and it's by Nim O Happy. I'm 
بغينا نكوتشي على هاي انا لاف يو مور ذان ماي لايف انا احبك يا حبيبي نكو بندا مين سانا ووتشي دادا عاشقيها اوكسونو وينا نكوتشي على هاي انا لاف يو مور ذان ماي لايف انا احبك يا حبيبي نكو بندا مين سانا ووتشي دادا عاشقيها انا لاف يو مور ذان ماي لايف انا احبك يا حبيبي نكو بندا مين سانا ووتشيت دا عاشقيها اوكسونو وينا نكوتشي على هاي انا لاف يو مور ذان ماي لايف انا احبك يا حبيبي نكو بندا مين سانا ووتشيت دا عاشقيها اوكسونو وينا نكوتشي على هاي انا لاف يو مور ذان ماي لايف انا احبك يا حبيبي نكو بندا the Common Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Common Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter. And you're listening to Diaspora Blues, a 3CR radio program that also airs on Radio Skid Row. I am Ayan Sharwa. On the phone now, we have freelance writer and radio presenter Najma Sambul. Welcome to Diaspora Blues, Najma. Ayan, how are you? I'm so good. I'm so good. Um, I don't know if you want to give a little shout out to yourself for writing um, a piece on Nimo Happy. Oh, yes, I heard Nimo Happy. <laughs> and honestly, that piece was such a joy to write because I really thought, you know, a Somali viral song. It was so long in the making. Like me and you both know Somali music slaps. Yes, yes. And I'm so glad that you showed her some love and, you know, showed all of us love because if one of us makes it, we all make it. At least that's the way I like to think. It's true. We all got to be in different industries and achieving things. You know, I actually spoke to her, but because not many people know this, I actually wow. spoke to her and... um I had a deadline, though, because MTV Australia needed to wrap up everything. But I did get to speak to her, and she was super grateful and, like, just such an amazing person. Oh, girl, that is amazing. I thought you just did, like, a piece on her that was kind of, like, from things that you've read and seen. But I had no idea you had a conversation with her. What was she like? Oh, she was – we did it through voice notes. I spoke to her manager, who's a Somali from the U.K., Huh. And she's amazing. So she was helping to manage her as well. And um, I just basically spoke to her about where her future plans are and what she wants to accomplish. And she had a lot of, like, you know, big dreams. Like, she wanted to start recording an album. And, yeah, she was just super excited about, you know, mm. 
where her career was going to go after the viral success. Yeah, and it's just starting, you know. She's got, like, she's got such a huge um, support system, including myself and you behind her. So, yeah, I can't wait to see what she achieves. So the reason I brought you on the show today was to talk about a few news items, um, some items that you've worked on personally and things that we've seen trending. So the first thing that I want to talk about is, unfortunately, covid but in yeah. particular, a story that you did on Al Taqwa. So I'll get you to tell me about Al Taqwa, what happened in August, if I recall, last yeah. year with the second COVID spread that they had. And what was it that they did that was very exceptional? Yeah. So I did that story for The Age and it was such an interesting story to do because it felt like... Um, like there were a lot of barriers in terms of trying to, you know, gain the trust of the school because some of the other articles that were written about the school weren't, you know, in the best light. Um, albeit the school had obviously had to rehaul how they, you know, managed COVID and there were some things that, you know, they were to blame for it. And I think, you know, we were all um, learning on the go. The government was learning, you know, institutions mm. were learning. And it was super interesting to be able to hear their side of the story and how they were able to get a large number of um, the school community vaccinated when, you know, vaccines were... There was a lot of vaccine hesitancy within, um, you know, all communities, but, you know, specifically, you know, minority communities that had already felt jaded by the government. Mm. And there was a lot of kind of miscommunication, misinformation and mistrust. And it was interesting to be able to hear how the school had basically just, you know, one example was they had set up this support system, you know, for the school community and the students as well. And even just I got to speak to some of those students and even they were like in awe of the kind of effort the school had put in to make sure that everybody was supported. Because mm. I think it's crazy how we're all in this different, like, mindset now because we have, we have so many cases at the moment. But, you know, back then, it really was... There was a lot of shame and stigma around contracting COVID. I remember myself, I got COVID as well when not many people knew anybody who personally had gotten it. Mm. And I feel like a lot of the people at our Tackle College were, you know, dealing with a lot of shame. And for them to have a positive news story out in, you know, the age was something that they felt proud of. Yeah, yeah. And I personally, as someone who lives in one of the inner city flats, a bunch of the kids did go to Al Taqwa. So I was kind of worried the I was worried about the stigma that they that that would have on folks who live in public housing um, apartments and you know when I did hear about this second outbreak because it was their second outbreak I was like oh god you just know what the story is going to be like you know Muslims are not seen in the best light as it is then you add COVID and you can just imagine where the narrative was going to head but thankfully, Al-Taqwa, as you mentioned, pulled through. They, you know, they made sure they were on top of it. They made sure that they informed the community. Apparently, they also had a newsletter, um, yeah, a COVID did. newsletter. Yeah. 
that they had like a COVID newsletter that would, you know, give them the daily updates on how many people were testing positive in the school community, just so people at least had that information. I think that was kind of mirroring, you know, the presses that we had and that we knew. So I feel like in that climate, a lot of people understood, you know, what to do with that information and it was a sense of calm yeah. for people. Yeah, yeah. And I'm so glad that you covered that story. Do you know what I mean? And it was someone from the community as well who understands what it's like being part of the community and who sees the complexity of our community, right? You know, because I knew... Yeah. Yeah, sorry, you were going to say? No, I think it's just so important that, you know, there is there aren't many stories that are positive about, you know, Muslim or minority communities in the media. And I feel like, you know... There were there was wrongdoings from the school side, of course, but every you know every person, every institution deserves a right of reply, mm. and I think that's something really important that the media needs to understand that you know you you're allowed to go and see if they've changed, you know, and if they've learned. And I think you know we give we give that to so many other groups of people, you know, we give that to the government, you know, what's changed, what's new. And I feel like the reputation of Altaqua College was in tatters, you mm. know. And so when they were able to tell their side of the story, I think that was really important. Mm. I'm so proud of you, girl. I'm so, so <laughs> proud of you. I'm so glad to see that there's someone out there who is Somali, who is Muslim, because that is my background, seeing you cover important stories like this with so much, like, polish and sophistication and nuance oh you are killing it okay so the second story i want to go to is about ismail hussein what can you tell us about ismail hussein and also why he is now in the spotlight yeah so as we all knew what happened with novak Djokovic was that he was put into immigration detention at the park hotel and um, there were 33 refugees that were locked there and many of them had spent eight years in immigration detention in offshore as well as, you know, in Ismail's case, the past few years in makeshift detention centres in hotels in Melbourne. I had covered, you know, some of that Novak reporting with Agent France Press and I was doing some freelancing with them and there was, you know, an interesting atmosphere on the ground. You know, you had you know, the Serb Novak supporters who were, you know, really batting for their countrymen. You had refugees, pro-refugee supporters who were protesting the inhumane kind of conditions that, you know, these men were being locked in. And then you also had um, the media, like both local and international media, who were following this story closely. And this all um, happened over 10 days. And, of course, you know, anti vaxxers had to show up and show out. <laughs> As they <laughs> do. Another... Yeah, I know, right? They're everywhere. But um, I think it was super interesting because for me, reporting as, like, somebody who came to this country as a three-year-old refugee, it was hard. You know, here I am focusing on this multi-millionaire, famous um, tennis player who's been supported by his people, on the ground, like there are a lot of Serbian protesters I spoke to who were so supportive of him. There were Serbian flags everywhere, and you had the Serbian, you know, president or prime minister supporting him. Like this guy was being supported at the highest levels, mm. and he could have left at any time. But for me, I was like, I was kind of, I was sad. You know, I felt that I was, you know, 
I felt that I'd kind of betrayed some part of my moral to cover that story because everything in me wanted to cover refugees, right? Mm. You know, you go into journalism to, you know, make a difference and to, you know, tell the stories of, well, for me at least, tell the stories of those who don't get their stories told often. And you want to do those stories with as much complexity and nuance as, you know, as, mm. as you can. And I think that for me, it was important that I contacted somebody inside the Park Hotel and pitched their story yeah. because I thought it was an important story to tell. Like, I think we've all kind of gone through this lockdown. We understand how it feels to be locked up in your own home. And mentally, that is something really hard to overcome. So for me, I thought, how can you look outside of your window? That's the thing that keeps you, you know, and that's Ismail, who's saying he's a Somali refugee who I interviewed. That was his view of the Park Hotel. He would watch all of this, like, media circus. Um, he'd see all these protesters, but ultimately you knew that besides the pro-refugee supporters, who were who are there consistently, by the way, they're there every week, mm. besides them, you know that this is for one man and not the 33 refugees that are in there. And I was very interested to see how the attention of people on the immigration system in a way that I hadn't seen before. You know, the average person was quite interested in, you know, what the immigration minister was going to do next. You know, when was the federal judge, when were the federal judges going to sit and make a decision on the Novak Djokovic case? I think I, it was the right time to then talk about how those kind of discretionary powers are used to victimise refugees and how they really don't stand a chance. Yeah, yeah. And that's the vibe that I picked up off uh, when I read your article. These guard laws, it's just on the whim of a minister. Like, there's no... It's 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 yeah. what they decide and it's been happening for a long time. Um, but Ismail Hussein could potentially be relocating, if I recall. You said yeah. something along those lines. Can you yeah. tell us more about that? Yeah, so Ismail has, you know, he has some options at the moment. So he's got um, a charity in Canada who are doing a claim for him to seek asylum in Canada. Um, so he'll have his final meeting at the end of the month um, to see whether that will happen. And, you know, I know this because I've kind of... I've, I understand the immigration system. This is not an overnight process. This takes years to get a visa up and running to go to... to relocate to another country. Um, so that process is not far from over. And the second option he has is um, a process to relocate in the US, which a lot of Somali refugees have also taken that option when they were in offshore. So that's his two options. And, of course, a third is that if he were to get a bridging visa to remain in Australia until he resettles. So that bridging visa would just effectively take him out of the Park Hotel mm. and he'd be able to go to a cafe. He'd be able to go for a walk. Yeah. Like, he would be able to work. The conditions are different for every individual, but majority would, you know, they would be allowed to work, um, you know. So yeah. it's just the difference between living as a human and as you should versus living as you know, a captive. A 
absolutely, absolutely. Like the article that you wrote, just hearing about Ismail describe his living conditions was just depressing and and the way that they're also being prevented from um, being seen as well with the, uh, I can't remember what they did with the window, but they put yeah, something they in the tinted, window. Yeah, they um, tinted windows um, and you would, it's that kind of peelable tint. Mm-hmm. So he would and other um, detainees would just kind of peel it off and then they would put it back on and peel it off and it was this kind of back and forth until they just gave up and allowed them to have windows. Why they would choose to um, tint their windows is Mm -hmm. just torture tactics really, isn't it? Yeah, and just the irony of them being in a hotel because when you think of a hotel, you think of like luxury, you think of holidays and here are these men languishing in a hotel but it's not the same condition as, um, as 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 we would be in if we were at a hotel. It's just so cruel, you know. Um, but I'm so glad that people like you are covering this story, which is very important. Um, another story that's making headlines, just moving away from that because that was pretty heavy, um, is Grace Tame and what I've been calling the Smiling Gate. What yes. happened with Grace when she went to the lodge? Um, she stood by her morals and principles. Mm. You know, she's been quite vocal about criticising Scott Morrison um, and the way he's handled women's issues and he left her out of that, um, I think, the national plan for child sex abuse. Um, he didn't consult, um, you know, the Australian of the Year and quite a vocal and, you know, groundbreaking advocate in that field, um, chose not even to reach out. Um, So she's been criticising him. And I think people are probably shocked that somebody actually stands by their principles. Absolutely. 100%. I think people are so obsessed with civility. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And and did you also pick up on the... um, sexist tropes just the way her behavior was described in the media as well yeah like she's very childish and she's rude and arrogant and i think that these are all things to distract and diminish when women have a voice and when women put their foot down and i think we saw that happen with yasmin abdul majid and i feel that this country's media has an issue with women and when women are outspoken and they like to cut them down as soon as possible. 100%. And I want to just stick there um, uh, because you did mention Yasmin. Did you also notice, I don't know how old you were, but did you also notice the differences in reporting and in the support that Grace had compared to Yasmin? And why do you think that's the case? Well, it's quite obvious, you know, Grace is... Although she's a woman and the sexism in this country is rife, she's also a white woman. We can never forget that, you know. She's going to get, you know, she, a lot of, you know, white Australians would, in a way, relate to her and support her because that's easy for them to understand. Mm. And a lot of people in this country are racist. Mm -hmm. they They don't like seeing you know, a minority that's outspoken 
heck, they don't want First Nations people to speak out, let alone, you know. So what do we expect? I just think it's just for us, for people who live in this country, we already kind of, we all know. Yeah. We just don't speak about it all the time. That part. That part, because I remember how people responded to people like Tani and Onus from um, War Warriors of Aboriginal Resistance, and the way they've responded mm-hmm. to Lydia Thorpe for speaking out. The uh, the responses are very different, and I'm glad you said it because I've been thinking a lot about it, and I know other Black folks have thought about it. You know, if this had been a Black person, yes, Grace did receive a lot of backlash, but. Had it been a black woman, would she have received that overwhelming uh, response from other women? Uh, I mean, who knows? You know, it's just there's no way to know. But from experience, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) we kind of can take a wild guess. (laughs) Yeah, you know how that would turn out. Absolutely. Um, Okay. Well, before I let you go, are there is there anything that you're working on that you can tell us about and that we can also look forward to? Well, as you know, I'm working on a Somali art exhibition. Um, It's yet to be announced, so I think I've just kind of dropped the bomb right there. (laughs) I'm working on a Somali art exhibition. It's going to be in the inner west, and, um, you know, it's something that I feel deeply passionate about, and I'll be curating that show, and that's something that I'm really excited to put out there and to give kind of, you know, you know, we always talk about representation and diversity and how we can make a difference. And I think sometimes it just takes, you know, people to do something brave and to back themselves and, you know, to present that to the world. And I think, you know, that's what I'm doing. It's on March 20 and I'll definitely, you know, I've already invited you as a fellow Somali. (laughs) And I've already, like, tentatively started putting the fillers out so don't you worry about that I got your back (laughs) (laughs) yes awesome thank you for having me I really appreciate speaking to you about these issues I'm so glad to and one other thing sorry can you also spruik spin cycle Oh, yes. How could I forget? Every Thursday, if you like to hear me rant, mix up my metaphors, <laughs> definitely catch me on Spin Cycle, 7pm on Triple R. We always talk about what's news in news, and I feel that we always have something fresh to offer, and we have guests as well, so that's always fun and interesting. And last week, we actually had a different... We usually have guests in the in the media world, but this time we invited Ismail Hussein on to talk about his plight. So mm. we do throw a spanner in the works here and there. Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much for speaking to me and I will see you soon. See you soon. Bye, Jan. Are you a taxi or rideshare driver? CPVV believes that the journey is just as important as the destination. For people with a disability, Using taxi or rideshare can be challenging due to refused services, intrusive questions and drivers denying assistance animals. As a driver, you make a difference. Be the reason people with a disability have a great trip. Authorised by CPVV. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to Diaspora Blues, a 3CR radio program. I am Ayan Shirwa. So if you missed out on my interview with Najma, shame on you. It was fantastic. But do not worry because this episode will be turned into a podcast today. So look out for that. I want to 
give a huge thank you to Najma Sample. Najma is a freelance writer and radio presenter. As she mentioned, you can check out her show, Spin Cycle Thursdays, which includes other presenters who are super amazing at 7pm on 3RRR. That's it from me. You can follow us on Instagram at 3cr.diasporablues. You can listen back to this episode and all of our previous episodes on our website at 3cr.org.au slash diasporablues. Taking us away is Beyonce with Be Alive. I'm Ian Shirwa and I will see you next week. It feels so good to be alive Got all my family by my side Couldn't wipe this black off if I tried That's why I lift my head with listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.